0: You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Our scripture today is going to be Psalm 8. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those and please remain standing. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's a Bible in front of you. Uh, the passage can be found on page 450. O Lord, our Lord. Today, our prayer is for a, a brother serving in a closed country. Um, because of that, I will not be mentioning his name, but Jesus knows his name. So, uh, Dear Lord, we pray for, your, for our brother in Christ, that uh, he's serving in a, in a dangerous land in a dangerous time, and we just ask that you give him the provision that he needs, keep him safe, keep his family safe, and open the hearts and minds of those that he comes in contact with, including government officials. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Good morning. How you doing?
1: Bright-eyed and awake and extra coffee, maybe? Uh, the ushers are going to come forward and take the morning's offering. If uh, you're visiting with us, we're so happy you're here. We do not want you to feel obligated to give. But again, if you can just let us know how you found out about us, that will be fantastic. Hey, uh, before I get started, uh, there's a book uh, that has been a great help uh, to me, I highly recommend it. It's called "Love Thy Body." It's by Nancy Piercy. Uh, she's a Christian apologist, uh, philosopher, um, a great thinker, and uh, just just brought this up just because I thought this is a book. Uh, if, if you're looking for a book to read uh, r- related to what we've been talking about the last, you know, two weeks, and then and then today, I'm just going to kind of. Um, not address exclusively same-sex attraction. We're going to talk about just what does it mean to be a a, a human being, a person. Uh, She's got a lot to say in her book about that, and so highly, highly recommend it. It was very helpful for me. I get to use my new uh, table, pulpit, whatever you want to call this thing. I can actually put my Bible here and my iPad here, so it's pretty cool. Nobody else is excited, but I am. Um, Well... Question that I want to start off asking this this morning is is this is what makes you you like who are you who am I that is uh, that is a profound question. That, uh, that 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 is, is good to ask. Uh, related to that is purpose. What is my purpose on this earth? I think you need to answer, who am I? Uh, before you can answer, what is my purpose? Why do I exist? Uh, I said uh, a couple weeks ago we had Brady come and share last week. If you missed last week, I highly, highly recommend you go online, listen to his story. Uh, it was powerful. Uh, really powerful. My, my uh, my brain is still reeling over over some of the things that he said in a in a very good way, um, but what I said a couple of weeks ago, I started off with talking about the LGBTQ uh, community and how I have uh, when, when I when I talk about that the community, there are there are faces that I have in, in my mind. I have a friend who is in that community, identifies as. As being not only same sex attracted but is uh, fully engaged in in that lifestyle, I talked about how the pain that many in in the LGBTq community experience that the suicide rates are significantly higher than heterosexual uh, attracted individuals um, for a reason because because it 's real and what you heard last week, if you were here last week, what you heard from Brady's story is just gut wrenching it's, it's, it's it, I mean it was like a, for me a dagger to my heart and just how multiple times he contemplated ending his own life i 'm convinced that the heart of the conversation over same sex attraction is the question of what it means to be a person. I was asked this uh, yesterday uh, why 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 do we spend two weeks talking about the uh, same sex attraction and and really hardly anything related to uh, heterosexual sins. So I'm going to, I'll touch on some of that this week. But the reason why is because uh, of all the, when, when it comes to sex, sexual ethics and when it comes to same-sex attraction, for some reason our culture has made that uh, the equivalent to uh, a person's ethnicity. That if, I, if, you, if you voice concerns about uh, homosexuality, or if you voice concerns about someone who's practicing or, or working out their same-sex attraction, that that is uh, that you are a bigot, or that you are uh, you know homophobic, or, or you know there's a whole list of them, and and that's why uh, it has more to do with who are we as human beings? Uh, who are you? Who am I? And so uh, the uh, Judith Butler, a philosopher who is uh, the found, considered the founder i don't know if she would attribute herself as being the founder but but attributed to being the founder of queer theory said the following and i just want you to see the statement and i'm just gonna uh that will be pretty much the most that i'll i'll refer to the lgbtq community in this in this sermon so she said this we act as if that being of a man or being of a woman is actually an internal reality or something that is simply true about us, a fact about us, but actually it's a phenomenon that's, that is being produced all the time and reproduced all the time. So to say gender is uh, performative is to say that nobody really is a gender from the start. Now that's... That, it, if you didn't get that, that's fine. <laughs> you can check out the manuscript uh, when, when it's posted on our website and can read over it again. I actually cite an article that, uh, a paper that she wrote. But that—that that is our culture. That's uh, that, that, that you are that what you the gender that you're born with, the, the anatomy that you're born with doesn't necessarily mean that that is your gender. Uh, the goal, and she's not the only. Philosopher of queer theory but she some uh nancy Piercy said this she said um that the, in essence what queer theory uh is doing is it it is fragmenting what it means to be a human being uh the, the it's it, it's oh, i'll just read this um, it is promoting the breaking down of the link that connects biological sex to gender desire. Now I know that for some of you this is, kind of, this is kind of philosophical, but we're dealing with a philosophical issue here, a conversation about identity. And uh, what I'm about to show you in a few, in a few moments is that this, this affects uh, just everything in our culture. And I think Answers why we're where we're at as as a culture and, and not just in America, but in the West and, and in the world um, When I think of uh, when I think of uh, Judith Butler's statement, this is what I think of I have two pictures here We'll show you the first one. Uh, I really did. I looked for mr Potato head like I wanted to find a big giant mr Potato head to have up here, but I couldn't find one and so um, So I had to settle for a picture and when I was when I read uh, when I read uh, not just Judith Butler's statement, but others who were who were, uh, just believe that who you are as a as a person is different than who you are physically, I thought of Mr. Potato Head because that's where my brain goes. Mr. Potato Head. Um, so Mr. Potato Head is supposed to look like this. Um, this is what I think of when you fra- when you fragment Mr. Potato Head. So let's go to the other picture, right? That's what that's what popped up in my brain. Now I didn't do I didn't create this. this I found this on. I don't have Mr. Potato Head at home, sadly. But um, that's what I thought of. That's what we're doing with the human body. With what it means to be human. That um, that f- who you are in terms of your person and who you are in terms of your physical being are two separate things according to not just queer theory, but our culture, our culture. And so Nancy Piercy said this, queer theory defends non-heterosexual behavior by chopping up the human being into disconnected parts that are said to have nothing to do with each other. And what I want you to, um, what I want to do for you is try to explain philosophically and biblically um, where that can lead and and what the Bible has to say about it, um, that there are philosophical underpinnings behind the sexual ethics of our culture that are upside down <clears throat> that have affected not just sexual ethics but it is you could see it in the abortion culture in in the church culture of how. Marriages are understood and treated. And, uh, and, and this is coming, euthanasia. Like this is like on our doorstep or in our backyard where euthanasia is, in, is legal in some states and it will be just as um, celebrated as the abortion culture celebrates abortion. The influential pastor, W.A. Criswell, said this, because I, and I, I, I quoted him in my live stream video earlier this week, but this resonated with me. I want to share it with you. He says, when a man goes to church, he often hears a preacher in the pulpit rehash everything that he has read in the editorials, the newspapers, and the magazines. On the TV uh, commentaries, he hears the same stuff over, uh, over again, yawns, and goes out and plays golf on Sunday. When a man comes to church, actually what he is saying to you is this, preacher, I know what the TV commentator has to say. I hear him every day. I know what the editorial writer has to say. I read it every day. I know what the magazines have to say. I read it every day. Preacher, what I want to know is, does God have anything to say? If God has anything to say, tell us what it is. And That's my role. Like I was asked, by uh, not just some of, uh, uh, of you at Meadowbrook, but I was asked by some of my friends, you know, why, why this sermon series? Because I believe God has something to say about identity. That's what we've been doing this whole, what, seven weeks now? Uh, God has something to say about identity, about who we are as human beings. And I want to just explore and look at what God has to say. That's what I did two weeks ago. That's what Brady did last week as he shared his story. Um, and that's what I'm going to do uh, today. I said that uh, if you're going to answer the question, who am I when I am same-sex attracted, attracted, you have to answer three questions. What is marriage? That's what we did two weeks ago. Uh, what does it mean to be a human being? That's what we're going to talk about today and next, And I'll conclude our, our, the Next week, I'll conclude this series by talking about that next week. And how can human beings flourish, which I'll tackle next week. Um, and so, who, uh, or what does it mean to be a human being? So I have two two points. I'm going to answer, how, what does it mean to be a human being? And, and, and here's the first point. You are more than what the world says you are. You are more than what the world says that you are. Uh, we looked at Genesis chapter 2 where God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make for him a helper, fit for him. You remember that? For those of you who were here two weeks ago, uh, the the NIV translates that word fit, uh, uh, suitable. And uh, the ESV, you know, uh, is, is the word fit. There's a, a conjunction or a compound word that is used that, that the translators... Uh, did the best that they could to translate that word. Uh, the, uh, the first part of the Hebrew word means like, and the second part of that word means against. That literally, literally, the, uh, that passage in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, is translated, and it will be on the screen here. I think I have it on the next slide. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper like different for him. <laughs> Like him in that she, she will be human and created in the image of God and dislike him that she will be female but equally created in the image of God. That's what we talked about two weeks ago. And I said that when I answered what is marriage from the Bible, from Genesis, that this is the answer the Bible gives. And both sides recognize this is the answer that the Bible gives in Genesis chapter 2, that for marriage to be marriage, both partners need to be human, both partners need to be from different families, and both partners must display sexual difference. That's what, and so you need to answer that before you answer, what does it mean to be human? Because to be human, according to Genesis chapter 2, it involves who we are physically. See, well, not just spiritually, but physically, created in the image of God. And to be human, listen, to be human has nothing to do with your sexual preference. Nothing. Nothing. I hope that you know if you're here last week, you got, that's what you heard from Brady. It has nothing to do, do with sexual preference, preference; everything to do with bearing the image of God. According to Nancy Piercy, again, I'm, just, I'm quoting her: the key to understanding all the controversial issues of our day is that the concept of the human being has likewise been fragmented into an upper and lower story. This dualism has created a fractured, fragmented view of the human being in which the body is treated as separate from the authentic self. That's what she said. And So I have a slide diagram that I'm going to show you on the screen. This is... I I wish I had a whiteboard. I would have wrote this out for you, but this is the best I can come up with. Uh, that our culture says that who you are as a person is different than who you are as a body. Is this resonating with any of you? Like, so how, regardless of what you're born with, in terms of anatomy, who you are as a person is different than who you, who you are biologically. Who you are as a person has moral and legal standing what you, in terms of your body uh, is, is expendable. It's an, it's an expendable biological organism. Is that... Resonating with you, so here, here's where the, the the philosophical arguments go. Uh, the the a fetus is just a clump of cells. It is not a person. It is, and most scientists and, and biologists will say it is a body. It is human, but it's expendable. It's an expendable biological organism. But because it is not a, he or she is not a person. That person has no moral or legal standing um, so it started with the first three months you can you, you can have an abortion and then and as as philosophers and thinkers began to uh, wax elegant about what it means to be a person now now you can have uh, you, you can you can terminate your pregnancy up through the ninth month in most states. Why? Because it's not a person. It is a human being physically, but not a person. It has no moral or legal standing. And there are different philosophies uh, or or theories. So so there's no theory that agrees with another. So, And I mentioned this in the e-letter that I sent out. Uh, I believe I, m- I mentioned it in the e letter that I sent out. And I'm not going to quote a bunch of theories uh, for you, but what I will tell you is that um, there are several. There are several theories. And, and two of the most popular, from what I've read, are the social criterion theory, which basically says this that you are a person whenever society recognizes you as a person or whenever someone cares about you. That's when you're a person. That's one theory. Another theory is the gradient theory, which proposes that a pers- that personhood comes in degrees, and you can have more or less of it. So that answers the question for some who are wrestling with uh, a, a, an infant or a, a fetus that's in the womb. It gradually becomes a human being. So in some states, you can't abort a child in its ninth month. But you can in the first three or in the first six months because it's gradually becoming a person even though it's still physically a human. Is this resonating with anybody? Um, this is why it's relevant that uh, we talk about some of these things in, in church. So this is, and here, here's where it's going. And I'm, I'm saying this because my mom, and I, you, so most of you know this story. My mom was 16 when she found out she was pregnant with me. The culture was telling her, "Terminate the pregnancy, terminate the pregnancy," and thank God she was courageous enough to, to give birth to me. But in places like uh, Alaska, Colorado, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, uh, New York, and Oregon, there are not only not only is abortion legal, but uh, there are no legal. There's no legal protection for. For that, for that child all the way up through the very last second before that child comes out of the birth canal. Because until you could see it, that person has no, that, that, that human being has no personhood. And there are two states where there's no legal protection for, for, uh, for infants that, are, that survive abortion. One of them is New York and the other one is Illinois, which is no surprise. But that's where we're at, brothers and sisters. Like, this is, real, this is real. And so the question that you should be asking and that I need to be asking is, does God have anything to say about these things? And the answer is yes. Like, if you've heard nothing throughout this whole series of, uh, of identity, you are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God, and that includes your personhood and your physical body. And so, when you read Genesis, God, God doesn't say, and God, the Bible doesn't say God created them male and female in the image of God. He created them uh, in terms of their brains. He said their, their whole being, that their, their spiritual being and their physicalness is, is what constitutes being a human being created in the image of God. And as a human being, you have worth. You are valuable because you bear the image of God. You are valuable. You are wired by the creator of all the galaxies in the, in the universe to, to know him and to, be, and, to, and to worship him and to dominate the, and manage the earth and care for it and to fill it with, with Yahweh worshipers, with God worshipers. That's, that's Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Personhood Theory, and that's what this is called, by the way, with, with the, the diagram that I had on the screen. It's called personhood theory. That's Personhood theory, it's, uh, uh, it's all over the spectrum. There's like f- I think I've read five or six different theories that classify as personhood theory. What constitutes personhood? Because until you can answer that question, so they say, uh, then that person has no value. So here's where euthanasia comes into play. If you're dying of terminal cancer or or you're in a veg, vegetable state, you're no longer a person. You're just a human being and therefore have no worth. You see where this is going? Um, and so does the Bible speak into this? Absolutely. God has something to say about it. Um, the unborn human is... is both a person and a being at the same time, the question we ought to be asking is not what do theorists say, not what does the me not what the, the does the media say not what does my not what is my community saying, but what is what does god say and and i will' just let you know like and i if you're visiting with us um if the rest of you are part of Meadowbrook, you know this. If you're visiting, visiting with us, maybe you don't know this. I believe this is the Word of God. I believe it's authoritative for life. I believe everything in it tells me about how I ought to live my life and, and everything I need to know about life. It doesn't tell me everything about life. It just tells me everything I need to know about life, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And if you don't believe this, then, then, then it leaves room for you to adopt the personhood theory. But if you do believe this, there is no room for that. That according to the Bible, what God has said about the human being is that we are humans uh, who have been individually formed by the power of God, knitted together by God, and fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Period. Period. Every single one of you has worth, regardless of disability, who we're going to hear from somebody next week, who, who is Spina Bifida, uh, who's a member of, of Meadowbrook. She's going to share it next week. Regardless of disability, regardless of who you're attracted to, regardless of your, your, your background, regardless of what the voices are saying about you, you have worth. And the reason being is because you were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. All of you. Your your person and your being as, as this body, even though it's fading. Right? We'll talk about that in a little bit. Our bodies are breaking down. We're under a curse. There's a reason why we have disease. There's a reason why we have you know we face death. There is a reason for same-sex attraction. There's a reason for for adultery and 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 divorce because we are under a curse and we are sin broken human beings. But that doesn't mean we're not, you know, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And that does not mean that we do not continue to bear the image of God. By design, you are not a fragmented being. Your personhood and your body were always intended from the creation to be the essence, listen, to be the essence of your humanness. In other words, you are both spirit, that's your person, and you are physical, that is your body. And this personhood theory, you know, nothing's new under the sun. This, this personhood theory, this goes back thousands of years. You had a group by the name of, the, a group known as the Gnostics, who believed that anything physical was impure and, and bad. That's why Paul was, and I'll talk about this a little, a little later, Paul was constantly pushing against that, saying, uh, how, how can any of you, like the Corinthian church, which are, they're just jacked up, how can you doubt that Jesus, or say that Jesus didn't physically rise from the grave? They were saying Jesus could not physically rise from the grave because everything that's physical is bad. And Paul said, hello, read your Bible. God's not, God created the heavens and the earth which is physical, the earth is physical, and he said what? What did he say in Genesis chapter 1? Every day he said it's good. And when he created male and female, what did he say? It is really good. That's what he said. He wasn't just talking about females. He wasn't just talking about males. He was talking about both of us who have been created in the image of God. This is why this stuff matters. This matters. Um... You were fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. God, and I said this, in, I don't know, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and God, uh, uh, if, if you have been reconciled to him, one of the truths that flow out of Psalm 139 is that you are reverently and extraordinarily, that, the Hebrew can mean that too, or be translated that way, you are reverently and extraordinarily set apart for him. And here's, here, this is where the culture so flip flopped. So personhood theory; those uh, who are championing the LGBTQ community as being something that is your part of your ethnicity or your your, your uh, of what it means to be a human being, um, and, and uh, the abortion culture and the euthanasian culture will say that they'll they'll stand in front of you and they'll say that that uh, we're just elevating what it means to be human, that, it's, that we're just lifting that up. Personhood theory assumes, listen, it assumes a very low view of what it means to be a human being. It assumes, and the reason why I could say that is because it assumes a very low view of the human body. And this is what it does. And this is why the sermon series, I felt, was so important to, to, to do. It dehumanizes you. To say that your same-sex attraction is your identity, to say that your disability is your identity, to say that your singleness is your identity, to say any of those things is to dehumanize you. It is to say that you are less than what God intended you to be. It is to say that God makes mistakes. It is to say that God—it's to say that God um, wastes your tears and your hurts when the. Scriptures from Genesis through Revelation screams that you were created in the image of God, and that you have worth—so much worth. Listen, so much worth that God sent His Son. Who? What? What did He do when He was born? He took on what? Flesh, human flesh, a physical body. He was born as a human being. That's the incarnation. That's Christmas, right? Um, and he lived a life that, what, what, you hear me say this almost every week, that, what, none of us could live, right? He lived the perfect life as the perfect human being to show us that, that he came to redeem us and that the purpose of redeeming us was so that we would be like him someday, That's why, that's why he not only lived the life we could never live, but what did he do? He died physically on a cross in your place and in my place for our sins. That's why I love what Brady said when he said, when he talked about the lady who came up to me and said, you know, I, I just can't go to, 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 to meet my lesbian neighbors and to share the gospel with them because it's just too icky. And I love what Brady said to her. He said, well, when you go home, look in the mirror and realize that Jesus hung just as long on the cross for you as he did for your neighbors. Why? Because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. That's why. Why? He didn't die for your cat. He didn't die for your dog. He didn't die for your your cattle. He didn't didn't die for any of that. He died to redeem you and to redeem me because we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And that's why Psalm 8, I I, I had that psalm read at the beginning of this message, which says this. Let's read this together, okay? When I look at your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moons and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you should care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the seas, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. That's talking about us. (laughs) So the Bible has a very high view of humans. Not higher than, the, than who God is, but a high view of, what it, of who we are. That includes who we are spiritually and physically. That's why death is called what? Anybody want to take a guess? Stab at it? In the Bible it's called an enemy. It's called an enemy. And what was it that Jesus defeated when he walked out of that tomb? The enemy of death. So this leads me to the second and the second point, which is, you may be less than what you think you are. <laughs> right? Uh, you know, you you are more than what the culture or the world says you are. And you may be less than what you think you are, because this is what personhood theory does. And and I think it's so easy for us to fall into, uh, to 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 buy into the lie of personhood theory, that um, who I identify as, who I think, who I think I am. uh, who I'm attracted to or with, uh, what I can I have the authority to rewrite the blueprint of what it means to be a human being and the Bible says no there's only one architect who's written the blueprint of humanity and all of creation and who is that it's a Sunday school answer right God <laughs> my seven-year-old or my, not my seven my nine-year-old say God right It's not a trick question. Um, There are two ways you can pattern your life. You can one, you can decide that what God has said in His Word is outdated or antiquated, and that the better architects, who speak into the blueprint of who you are, are you know the personhood theories theorists. They could tell you what they tell you what it means to be a human being, or you can agree that God has spoken and He is giving you. Uh, uh, Given us an answer for what it means to be a human. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, um, William Carey, when he went into India uh, to bring the gospel, one, and one of the things that he noticed, I don't even know what it's called, but, but when a husband would die, the, spa, the wife of the husband would be thrown onto the fires also as the body was burning. And when William Carey saw that, he, he he was horrified, and he said, "You you, you can't do that. Well, you can't do that," and he knew that the way to fight against that was to first proclaim the gospel into the into the into the culture of India to bring them the gospel. Why? Because the gospel tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are sinners, but we are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And because we're sinners, we need to be redeemed. And the only way to be redeemed is through the blood of the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ, uh, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody can come to the Father except by, by him. That the gospel was the antidote, antidote to fight against That culture in India where wives were, where their bodies were being burned or buried with with their husbands. And it's the same, it's the same is true for today. You want to know how you can change culture? Not laws. How's that helped us? Right? Not a new president or the same president. That's not going to do anything. What changes the heart of man is the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of his word and the power of his, of his Holy Spirit. That's what changes lives. You heard two people share their stories the last two weeks who talked about identifying as same-sex attracted and, feeling, and being told that that was the only path for them, that was the only life for them, that there was no way that they could change. That's what the world told them. That's what personhood theory uh, theorists will, will, will tell you. And what you've heard is you heard two individuals testify about the power of the gospel to change lives. If you are created and God is your creator, you do not get to rewrite the blueprint of your, your humanness. And what it means to be a human being is to be fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. That's something we share in common with every other human being on planet Earth, including the unborn. And the dying. And the only thing that's different for most of us in this room and most of the world is that most of you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you've been forgiven of your sins and you've been reconciled to this God and you, you know that one day you will breathe your last breath and when that day comes, you will your, your spirit will enter into the presence of God, but that will not be the permanent state of your soul. That's what the resurrection promises us, Of the resurrection of Jesus Christ promises us, that Jesus will... Rise from the grave. That he rose from the grave, and he said that one day we will experience a resurrection too. And the Bible tells us that's when the gospel will be fully realized and fully complete, when we experience a resurrection ourselves. You know that? Um, You know, in in a couple weeks, like three weeks, I think it is, we'll be celebrating Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. We'll spend a whole Sunday just celebrating that. And, um, and so as we think about the gospel, the question, in light of everything we just looked at, is why did Jesus rise from the grave? Or how did he rise from the grave? He rose what? Physically, right? I already told you about that. He rose physically. And why did he rise physically from the grave? Uh, not only so that our redemption and our salvation will be you know, that we guaranteed, but he did that as the Bible says, as the first fruits. Like this, he said, This is what you're going to experience one day. This is why all the disciples, all the apostles, were willing to face horrific, violent deaths, because they knew that for them that was not going to be the end, but the beginning. It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said moments before he was about to be hung uh, at the gallows because of his role in trying to have Hitler, a whole other thing, H- Hitler assassinated. Uh, he was hung uh, on the gallows. But before he was hung on the gallows, um, uh, his, his, the, the prison guard said, well, I guess this is the end. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, just stripped naked, looked at the guard and he said, no, for me this is the beginning. He wasn't just talking about, "I'm going to die and I'll be in the presence of God." That, that, that was certainly true, but he, he knew that this was not going to be the end. that one day he, like Jesus, would experience a resurrection as we all will. Jesus rose so that our sins would be fully and categorically forgiven, and what we, uh, and, and what we do as His people with our physical bodies matters. It matters. That's why all over the Bible says what you do with your body, it matters. How you express yourself sexually matters. How you live out your life physically matters. If it didn't matter, you wouldn't have passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which says this uh, in 18 through 20. It says, flee from sexual immorality. What, what's that? Any type of sexual activity outside the context of a marriage between a male and a female within that covenant, thats sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know? So Paul is writing to, to Christians here. He says, but do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you from, you, from whom you have from God? You are What? You are not your own. Let's say that together. You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your what? Body. In your body. This is not just regarding the LGBTQ community. This is also for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have a very low view of of marriage. This is for you who are addicted to pornography. This is for you who who are flirting with another person at work. Or, or in your neighborhood. The sexually immoral includes all those categories, and what you do with your body matters. The, and, and why does it matter? Because um, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse seventeen says that that uh, that that you are because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Because you placed your faith and trust in Him, you are now a what, a new creation. You're a new creation. And he is doing something radical in your life, something amazing. Earlier in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verse 11, which Brady pointed out, and I just want to highlight to you as I draw this to a close, he says in, he, 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 he says in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians, and I won't have the, the words on the screen, but 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 11, And such were some of you. Past tense, that's what you used to be. You're not that anymore, you're a new creation. And what you do with your body matters. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's who you are, fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. And if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a new creation, and he's doing something amazing and radical with your life. The God who spoke the galaxies into existence, listen, has the ability to change you, to transform you. And there are dozens of stories represented even in this room of the power of God that changed lives. That's why Paul said, "I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's got the power to transform lives." So Paul wrote to this jacked-up church in Corinth. <laughs> they were a mess, and uh, and there were some of them were saying, "Well, Jesus didn't rise from the grave physically. He rose from the grave spiritually. He couldn't rise from the grave physically because the body is just bad. It's worthless." Your person, well, that's got value. So Jesus, his personhood, rose from the grave and his spirit. And Paul said this He said, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep or have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The plan of redemption And the reason why Jesus lived the life that we can never live, went to a cross to die in our place, and rose on the third day is because God is making all things new. And one day, every single one of you that has placed your faith and trust in Jesus will experience a resurrection where you will have a new body, a physical body, a glorified body on a new earth, a physical earth, a glorified earth where we will walk and fellowship and it will be amazing. And you know what we'll experience on that day when redemption is complete? what it means to be fully human. Amen? I want to share a story, and it's just a two-minute story, and then we'll be done. But M- Matt, um, who I don't know him personally, I came across this story, uh, heard him in an in- interview, and then found uh, just a two-minute story of... of the identity that he now finds in Jesus. Matt was fully involved and, and engaged in uh, the LGBTQ community. Um, you will see when he shares his story that uh, as, who he is as a person doesn't, uh, uh, like, uh, that, that's who he is, and that doesn't mean that he is gay. And he's going to share his story. And I I think it's just powerful because he brings into Psalm 139 in a way that I felt is helpful. And so uh,
2: I want to share that with you, and then I'll close in prayer. Jesus has beautified my life by redeeming my identity. Because all these years growing up being made fun of for being girly, for being a dancer, or being called fag for being a singer, I thought that being Uh, being a violinist, being a pianist, being a composer, being a singer, being a dancer, being sassy, being flamboyant, and being, you know, I'm liking to sit with my legs crossed, even something like that. I thought all these things meant that I was gay. But what God says is he takes all these things. He says, you're a violinist. You're a pianist because in your mother's womb, that is how I made you. Um, You are a singer. You are a dancer because I looked into your mother's womb and formed you to dance and formed you to sing. Um, You are sassy and flamboyant, not because you are gay, but because I looked into your mother's womb and said, this is my son for whom I'm well pleased. And so, in fact, when Jesus came into my life and when I had the security of Jesus in my identity, I, in fact, grew more into my personality. I, in fact, grew more into my confidence and authority for Christ, knowing that how I was and how God made me was the truest and fullest way God would use me to serve other people, to bring joy and laughter to other people's lives. And it is incredible to see how um, I used to not be able to say that about myself, that when I would be a dancer, there would be so much condemnation on me. But it has been so freeing to know that God looks on those things and says, this is my son. For whom I am well pleased that he looks down on me right now right at this moment as I sit here telling my life story and he says um, this is a strong man of Christ.
1: To be fully human is to be reconciled to God through his son Jesus for the purpose of experiencing him and knowing him. We were made to, to know him and to worship him. And that's why Jesus died in our place, rose on the third day, and, uh, and promised every single one of us one day that we will experience a resurrection also. That is the gospel. If you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus, if this is new to you, uh, I just want you to know that the Bible says that, it, that the gift of salvation is free. There's only one way to receive it, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ alone who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody comes to the Father except by me. But the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If there's any fragmentation of, what, of, of us as human beings, it is what sin has done to us. And, uh, and Jesus came to fix that. Amen? Father, thank you so much for everyone in this room. Thank you for this day. Thank you that you have fearfully and wonderfully made us in your image and that is, that is really good news. And that you loved us so much and valued us so much that you sent your son out of your great love to die for us so that all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life, which includes one day a resurrection, a physical resurrection. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. I'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.